Honest, I've always felt that the salaries that the clubs pay players are crazy and unrealistic. The word we have tried to use so many times. We have tried not to use so many times, but we have to use again. Shame on you. This is Sports 360. Hello, welcome to Sports 360 Podcasts. It's another week, another Thursday when you're listening from wherever you are in the world. I want to thank you for always joining us and downloading and listening to the podcast. And we thank you for all the questions. We can take the questions for another week and then um, a couple of weeks' time, I think, two episodes from now, we will answer all your questions. Some very, very interesting questions. <laughs> but yeah, hear me, I'm laughing at you. Some very interesting questions have been thrown at you guys. <laughs> but you have the chance to answer in a couple of weeks. So thank you all for all those questions. So Yemi is here, but he joins us via Skype. And today, well, we're talking about a couple of interesting topics. And one of them is like, um, follows on from what we discussed last week about the NFF elections. And we're talking about uh, DJ Drogba's botched attempt at becoming the president of the uh, Cote d'Ivoire FA. You know, DJ Drogba has, Yemi will let us know, DJ Drogba, I think, has his faults, uh, the way he's approached it. But I'm looking at, it, uh, looking at it from the context of the fact that the delegate system, which we talked about last week, in relation to the NFF elections, um, is read, is quote-unquote, ugly head again in Cote d'Ivoire, where it seems like once the delegates, the key delegates, don't take a fancy to you, there's absolutely no way you can win the election. But let me start with uh, somebody who I feel is uh, more versed in African football matters than the two of us seated here. Buddy, what do you make of Didier Drogba's continuous attempt at becoming his uh, country's FA president, I think this is the second or third time. Second. This is the second time he's trying, and he's been uh, he's been rebuffed, so to speak. What do you make of that? Well, um, I, I don't know the facts and figures that Emi has, but mm. uh, the only thing that has constantly um, crept up in discussions and in, in articles that I've read is that Drogba needs to needs to um, how do I put it? Drogba needs to localize himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit more grounded. Locally. I, yeah, 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 I have witnessed how much Drogba is loved by his people. Uh, during uh, the South Southern Nations Cup, um, uh, after the game against Nigeria, Drogba not only broke ranks with the players outside the stadium, he, he, he broke ranks, walked across with the supporters and was with them for a few minutes. In fact, one of the supporters had a child he made a beeline for, 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 for the mother and the child, carried the child, had a friends with them, dropped his jersey, then walked away again. The way it was accepted shows that the people actually love him. But like you said, the people, the people are not the ones voting. <laughs> yeah. those, those voting are the delegates. And once that, once, once, once it becomes that, it's a different ball game. Yeah. Just like, uh, just like we saw uh, in, in, uh, with the case of George Ware. They just had a lot of problems with the Liberian FA. Let's not defy that he was their major sponsor for years. Mm. I think Joba will have the same thing. Look, as long as Joba is not running for presidency, he's running, running to, he's going for a seat on the FA. He has to deal with the local politics. There's no way around it, mm. unfortunately. And I think that is where the problem is. There's nothing wrong with Joba with Joba's ambition. There's something that suggests that he hasn't done enough. To earn that seat, what but what you need to do is that hey, this is Africa, like you said, the follow for for what we discussed discussed last week. As long as that system is operating there, 
It's going to find a way to work the system. Mm. All right. Um, Yemi, um, so to balance it, um, because a lot of people have just come on to say the delegates, uh, they don't want progress for African football, drug back would have opened doors for them and all of that. We can hear all of that. But drug by himself has come under some criticism for his, like, what he mentioned it, his lack of, his lack of presence or his abscess on the local scene. And then um, you have to do that. So tell us a bit about the background to this and, what you think Drogba has done wrong or hasn't done enough of to get that acceptance to get to where he wants to get to? Okay, so one of the things that uh, are important in, in reviewing the Drogba situation at Cote d'Ivoire is to also draw parallels from uh, Samoleto's uh, reign okay. in Cameroon somewhat. Mm. So, um, Samoleto also had tried at some point mm. but was rebuffed. But I guess he learned the lessons. And, mm. and the key lesson is going back to base. Having a well-grounded support base within the football pyramid mm. in your country. And I think that's one, some, that's something Drogba hadn't done. He lives in France. Only comes around when things like this come up. A lot of people have asked for ex-footballers to play a major role in their phase of football going for because of yeah. their experience and potential contacts that they can mm, get mm. across. But yeah. those potential contacts are not, uh, how do I put this? They're not cast in stone. It's really, yeah. There's no real certainty About with it. them. However, politics is the politics and politics is local, whether you like it or not. Or not yeah. It's grassroots. Um, if you listen to top Ivorian journalist, Mamadou Gay, and when, when he addresses this drug-by issue, he always references the fact that there's a second division club based in Drogba's uh, village that hasn't received as much as a football, mm. a ball from Drogba in all the years he's played in Europe. And he feels that if you are trying to build some kind of connection, that's the first port of call that you should, you should mm. have, you know. Uh, show your, pull your muscle behind that, that kind of team. Get some kind of goodwill amongst the local, and then from there you can start building. Because the interesting thing is, the people that he came up with, came up against, are uh, probably well, more grounded. Uh, well grounded yeah. One of them has been uh, part of running the uh, league in Cote d'Ivoire. The other is an executive. Is on the executive was was on the executive committee for a long time. Was uh, probably like vice to Jack Aduma the former uh, president of the FA. So, that lack of grassroots presence, you know, was the major reason that affected Drogba. And I hope that the lessons will be learned and there won't be some kind of arrogance mm. to feel yeah. that, look, because these elections have been postponed several times. Yeah. Because there seemed to be a bit of an orchestration from the top, from mm-hmm. FIFA, trying to potentially push him. You okay. know, to become, but the guys have to somehow reboot it. Mm-hmm. We don't like, we, we, we might not like the delegate system, but it's a well, system that now, is pervasive. For now, it is we what it is. We can't change it. It is what it is. Yeah. Uh, it leads on to my next question. Um, um, Yemi just told us about how uh, Samuel Leto adjusted to the challenges faced when he was rebuffed and Drogba probably needs to adjust because I get a feeling he's determined to get to that post and he will come back. 
I, that's my, that's my feeling I get. I, I'm not sure. I don't know whether I'm right or wrong, but I feel you might get back. But placing it in the context of uh, the delegate system that we talked about, even when they do play the game by the rules, like Eto did, you know, we know there were one or two obstacles they wanted to put in Eto's play, in Eto's way, before he overcame that. Do you get the feeling that the entrenched system uh, resists, quote-unquote, outsiders, be they technocrats, be they ex-footballers, who want to come in and upset the Apple cats, and that's across board, not only in Nigeria, not only in Cote d'Ivoire. You, you, you do get the feeling that the football administrators who are comfortable in their positions tend to be wary or tend to resist quote unquote outsiders who are probably technocrats, ex-footballers, maybe um, corporate world people who want to come in and uh, uh, do things probably better than they are doing so probably the right way. Do you get that feeling? Sometimes it's also about the right way or the wrong way. That, that resentment is natural. Yeah, um, and and it's not it's, it's not um, it, it's a it, it's an African problem because the people that are that usually find themselves in this position they are usually westernized. Yeah, and when you come with with uh, with, with uh, w- uh, when you come and it appears that you are showing off as being superior, mm. one of two things will happen. Either, either, either this we are talking about will, 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 will boil up or people with an inferior complex will be determined to put you in your place mm, in put. Mm, mm. So most times it is this, it is this, it is the intervention to show that uh, you think you know more than us that leads to this ganging up. Yeah. And like, uh, like, uh, like, um, like, 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 Sometimes that's why you see our politicians, like our politicians, when when election time just near, you see them meeting come, you see them meeting Amala, you see them sitting with students in schools. They are one of the people. We try to remove that superiority thing that you might hold against them. I say, look, I'm one of you, and that is what being grounded. That's what that's what participating in local politics means. See, like in Eto got Samaleto got around at the obstacles and. Whether Joba likes it or not, it might not even be the football club from his village, but he has to find a way to ingratiate himself with other people. He has to do things that will make the make uh, make uh, uh, that will turn those people into his advertisement board. Oh, so uh, uh, sometimes the things that are said when you are not there, they decide the outcome of things when you finally show up. Mm. He's got to mix with people who will be talking for him. When he's not around, they say, "Oh, if, if they don't draw one, they say, no, 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 this X Y Z, oh no, it's not like that." He's got to that. He has to find a way to bridge that, bridge that disconnect. Look, to change things like they keep saying, you have to be on the inside. As somebody threatening his life, oh well, we don't know, but for, but there, there's not any source of anybody threatening his life. He's got to go back to Charlie Coast and start building up. Uh, putting down, putting down, uh, putting down the blocks for what he wants to do, unless he wants to give up. Mm-hmm. And the, the more FIFA tries to push him, if they are pushing him, the more resentment will build up against him because he'll be like, oh, now you are bringing outside us to impress us. Okay, you meet us there. Because look, in Africa and it's in, 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 many other, in many other places, when an outsider shows up, 
people tend people 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 tend to band together. Mm. Okay, outside outside our quote and unquote. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it's um it's an interesting uh, narrative now that is happening. Africa has produced so many excellent, wonderful footballers over the past, uh, let's say from the 80s and 90s that made their mark on the European scene or global scene. And particularly in the, since the, the turn of the century, and they are, the number of them are coming back, so to speak, as administrators, a lot of them as coaches. We've had that in Nigeria, current African uh, champion coach, uh, fits that bill as well. We've seen a lot of coaches who are ex-internationals and we have seen the trend of Eli George Ware coming back, not only FA becoming president of the country. Uh, we've seen, uh, we're talking about Samuel Leto and now um, DJ Gregor who's trying to do a similar thing. It should be beneficial to African football to have these gentlemen or this kind of uh, people coming back. They do need to give back. Which we also, that's one of the criticisms of Nigerian externationals as well. That you need to give back a little bit before you can expect to reap from the system. Having said that though, do you see the entrenched interest realizing the positive impact these guys can have? Because for instance, Collins Okio, who is a Kenyan and Kenyan journalist uh, who wrote on LinkedIn, um, said, said something in strong, said like, for instance, if you're talking sponsorships, a Didier Drogba goes to any major corporate company in the world, they will, he will get a leg in. They may not agree to what he will proposal, but he will get that proposal on the table. And that is the power and the appeal that these guys have. But, like Bode said, they have to marry all that with what you probably call Local sense, quote-unquote. Exactly. <laughs> and to try and get... But you get the feeling that instead of this resentment, instead of this negativity, we should realize that these guys can do a whole lot of positive things for African football. Whilst you are correct mm. that um, opening the door to them, they, they have the ability. They have yeah. the power. They have the connection. They have the network. They have the brand up here yeah. to open a lot of doors and, you know, add a lot of value to the system. But like you said, it's important to have that local sense. Mm. You might have to dine with the devil mm. you know, in some sense. Mm. sense. Why are we saying so? You can't fix a problem by without, being on the outside. Okay, without, without leaving the problem. You have to be right in there. You have to be in the trenches. Mm. And maybe the trenches is to ensure that you are part and parcel of them. So, as you are dining with them, you are knowing that, okay, you know, it seems there's too much salt in this place <laughs> or there's too much pepper on this side and then you can start, you know, imputing your own imprint. I think that um, somewhat, and this is talking to the ex-internationals, a lot of them somewhat have, I've been entitled. Mm. There's nothing wrong with starting from the bottom. In the case of Nigeria, even though some of our own exercises have shown that even that the entitlement, when they get there, they mm. bungle it. Mm. There's nothing wrong with starting at the state FA or at the local FA. Mm. Get on the board. Start building your goodwill and your network and whatever from there. 
And when they start seeing what you're doing, you then aspire to another office. Mm. Then aspire, that you can then aspire to the, you know, to the bigger office. But more often than not, they pay want to dues, go, pay so your to dues. Speak. They want mm. to go right at the top. top. In the same way, we have this mainstream politics. We also see some of the guys who are well known, who are technocrats, also need to start from probably to start from the bottom, mm. and not just aim for presidency alone. There needs to be a gradual process. process. And I think that's the mindset a lot of our people, ex-internationals or technicians need to have. You need to start affecting the game from the grassroots. Mm. When you start that, you can then grow over the next few years, mm. then aspire to hit the top. Okay. Alright. Uh, me a second. Final question on this, buddy. Um, so, in essence, what are the advantages to this, um, what, what do I call, uh, return of the uh, exes in terms of uh, footballers to African football, they also have to know that uh, it's not going to be handed over to them. It is going to be something that they have to earn and earn by paying their dues, like Jamie just said. You can't just come in and say, okay, because I'm Samueletto, because I'm Didi Drogba, because I'm Kanu Wanko, hand the effort to me. You have to show ability, you have to show organization, and you have to show that you are ready to go into the trenches to build. So, what would be your advice to these guys who I feel can add value to African football across board? What would be your advice to them uh, long term? See, thank God you mentioned long term. Yeah. Because I was going to go long term. I think um, sometimes um, if you ask the average African journalist, or let me keep it to what, let, let me keep it to the one I'm sure of. If you, if you ask the average Nigerian journalist, their most difficult job experience. They will tell discovering the super egos. <laughs> and mostly, it is talking to our boys, the, for, the foreign pro- professionals. One of the constant complaints that you hear is that they rather speak to BBC or Sky mm. than talk to Nigerian journalists. Now, let me also add that the fault is on both sides. Mm. Yeah. But, yeah. long term, if you feel you are going to have that ambition, Better start now. Because sometimes in media too, they play a part. Mm. I can imagine, I know how Drogba is, but I can imagine what has transpired sometime in the past when he, when he was playing. It is the, it, it is, look, before entitlement, there's, there's also this arrogance. And I think that arrogance sometimes shows when they start uh, uh, um, this uh, when their when their vision bubbles up, that arrogance that they should have seen. What do people know? This is how we do it, but this is done abroad. And you know, there's something that that is a, there's a constant refrain in Africa. This this Africa, we have a way we are putting. We have a way we do our things here. Now that way of doing our things is sometimes what this. Uh, um, what, what people from the abroad, like we say in Nigeria, mm-hmm. what, what they want to change, and that it's, that says that if you want to come here and take over, that that's what people resist. Mm. So first off, like you said, you've got to marry both. We know that Western ways are working, but also not. There are also, also things that are, that are done in the Western world because of this because it's a lead down system that just kicks into gear. 
that will not work in Africa because Africa, you have to start building from scratch. So, long term, as a drugba or any other person that is thinking of that ambition, you've got to start building your base now. Mm. Learn how to interact with people, learn their ways, and know what can be changed, and there are some things that you have to, that has to take time to change. Mm. All right, buddy. Uh, we end this here. Um, so we, we'll just say that, uh, like, uh, some little length, uh, Drogba has lost the battle. Some little lost the battle. Eventually, he won the war. Maybe Drogba has lost the battle now. But if he reorganizes and re-strategizes and takes the advice of getting a bit more localized, maybe next time around, he might just win the war. And one of Drogba's former teams, uh, Marseille in France, uh, the only French team to have ever won the UEFA Champions League. And I'm sure they're very happy uh, that PSG, with all the money, with all the money that they, they have, PSG has not been able to win the Champions League. You know, incredible things. I'd never seen anything like this in my football <laughs> experience. Yeah, yeah, me. Um, last weekend, PSG needed only a point against uh, Lens to win the French League on title, their eighth in a decade in the last 10 years. And they got the points. Although, well, well, Messi scored, then there was an equalizer and incredible stuff. 10, 15 minutes to the end of the game. Of a game that should have been celebratory and fans jubilating and winning the league. The fans started trooping out. The fans trooped out and went to the to, to the park outside of the stadium and decided to celebrate and decided they were not going to celebrate with the players. So at the final whistle, when PSG were confirmed as champions, the players didn't have any fans in the stadium to celebrate with. Maybe a handful of fans, so there was not the regular lap of honor and all that. I'd never seen anything like that. Incredible scenes. And it suggested to me that the fans are very angry, that maybe the fans are like, we win, we, we win this one normal now. We win this league every time. We wanted you to win the Champions League and you are in a good position to win that Champions League. What happened and all? So, what do you make of all that? Did the fans overreact? <laughs> Did, was it like an overkill? Was it that the, the players deserve to be treated with so much uh, anger? No, I don't want to use the word hatred. So much <laughs> anger. Um, towards them, what do you make of it? Incredible stuff. Um, there are various ways fans protest. Mm. This is a quite unique one. <laughs> uh, I think just last week, Manchester United, the fans uh, yeah, protested for the first 17 minutes. Yeah, we're not there for the, some fans were not there for the first and of, 17 minutes. And of course, you know, United will have considered the game. <laughs> no, United, that's United scored before the game. Sorry. You know, for the first 17 minutes, some fans were not there, you know, signify, I think, 17 years of the Glazer mm, mm, you know, and all that. Now, flip side, they just showed us another side. You know, another side, another way of uh, protesting would be probably clapping at a particular time, mm. you know. But this time, they, it was actually a day of honor, mm. a day of triumph. Mm. And what did they do? They decided to turn their backs on their team to Walk out of the stadium in the last few minutes of the, of the of the game, just to send a clear message to the players, 
to the board, to the hierarchy, saying, look, we are not happy with you. Yes, this is our 10th title in history, our 8th in 10 years. We're just telling you that we are not happy with where we are. And what was interesting was the shock in the players, you know, response like, ah, what's going going on here? Why this season was full before? Why? Why? As they couldn't do their lap of honor, and that has raised a lot of questions. Who exactly are the fans sending this message to? Mm. Is it the players? Because there are rumors that Mbappe is on his way out. His contract ends in June. There are rumors that Neymar too might be on his way out. Uh, Messi has said he's probably going to stay one more year. There are rumors that they're going to fire Pochettino. There are rumors that they're not happy with the sports director. So. Nobody can actually say who are they angry with? Yes. Mm. Who owns this message? <laughs> who is going to collect this message with his full chest? Nobody can. But the general thought is that there is fan apathy mm. to this team, whether players or the guys running mm. the team. Mm. And I think it's a, it's a good thing to happen to football to let the club know that the fans are still important, that there's no game mm. without the fans. Yeah, you know, if uh, fans are the lifeblood of football, I'm sure the players would have been very, very, you know, very, very sad at what happened. The hierarchy of the club would be totally dumbfounded by what happened. But uh, what do you make of it all? <laughs> I, I was, I was following that report and I was just, I was just laughing. Remember that um, uh, when we were talking about PSG and the Champions League the last time, yeah, we did say that look, winning the the uh, the league on is 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 normal. Mm. There's nothing to it. As a minimum, expected. Expected. Exactly. PSG have become flat sack bullies in France. The next step, the next step for them is to take the big one. And given the investments mm. and the kind of names they have on their roster, they should not be look. The list is going to the final and idea. This is this is how at least we have tried. They are not even doing that constantly. So I feel I feel that here, like any said, yes, um, uh, no matter how much money a private investor puts in the club, uh, and, and no matter if, if even if the person turns the club into a split thing. You still need the fans to give you the atmosphere that you need. Mm. Because imagine you are the owner, it's your club, yes. And then you come into a stadium and it's empty. And you are watching, you are, you are, you are watching a, a game where you can hear what the players are saying, it's all look. There's no music, there's no atmosphere. Yeah. So let the owners know. That's why I like um, uh, what, um, uh, uh, what, 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 what we saw in Jambi during, uh, during COVID. Remember the case of the, the I think it was the Division 2 club that said, the guys are now had they said, we don't have money, we need money. And then, 4,000 fans bought their tickets at 5 euros each, even though yeah. they are not coming to the stadium. Hmm. Yeah. Without the fans, there is no game. It's as simple as that. And that's what the, the case of PSG has shown. Look, should they have won the Champions League? What is wrong with PSG? It's a different topic entirely that you have to look at. Hmm. Is it the coach? Is it the players? Is it the attitude of, attitude of the players? Is it that you, is it that the owners interfere too much? Is it no, like like you said? Who owns the sub? It's a different. <laughs> but at least the fans have made it to me. 
without us, you guys are nothing. So let us let us start all over again and see whether we we'll appreciate each other. And look, AG, they clear out my 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 deal, but turn out to be a good thing for PSG. Mm. Because sometimes mm. too much goes in the in, in the is there just might be a case of too many cooks falling the broth. Too much goes in the dressing room. It's not good for anything. You've got to have the clear leaders. You've got to have the clear soldiers. Because sometimes the leaders are not the ones that get to the, get the job done for me on the pitch. It's the soldiers. Those who are willing to lay their lives out for the club. They just need the big boys to step up once in a while. While they do the work. But when there's when there are too many big boys, nobody wants to pay their their socks. So I think it, in the long run, the clear out and this message sent by the fans, two things connected but different, might lead to a serious strategy and might just need to be uh, need to be kicked in the backside that the club needs to get what the fans want. You know, the interesting thing is that, mm-hmm. you know, while we talk about PSG, this is the 8th of 10, the 10th title, same weekend, buy one that turns straight. Yeah. Bundesliga to fanfare. And there was a lot of celebration. <laughs> so, so you can see two teams. Well, you can consider the fact that Bayern did win the Champions League a couple of yeah, times. Yeah, I've noticed that two teams at, you know, different, par- different points shows that those ones fans, yes, mm-hmm. they got knocked out of the Champions League in very unusual circumstances against a smaller team like Villarreal, especially lost to Real Madrid, by the way. Mm. You know, so you're making that comparison. But those ones, their fans mm. are okay. I think it's a manner of the loss. Yeah. And the first, especially in the sense that they had, they had the, the, had the game, had in, the game hands, in their yeah. hands. And it's happened too often because the same thing happened with, against Barcelona some years ago when they were three or four nil up from the four first one leg, up from the four first one and they eventually contrived to lose. But, you know what I mean? Uh, sticking with you, the fans have sent a clear message loud and clear, epitomized by the silence of the graveyard that that stadium presented at the end of the match when it was supposed to be a rock wall celebratory atmosphere. How would this impact the hierarchy of the team? And how do you think they'll react? Hmm. Um, for the players, I honestly don't know how the players would feel. Uh, but maybe I'll ask for that question. But the hierarchy, the management, because I know that you have always felt that until one Leonardo leaves that place, <laughs> PSG would be running around around the circles. But how do you feel that would impact the hierarchy? Knowing that, look, it's like if these guys fans can do this, the tickets, 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 the, the season ticket owners might decide we are not putting our money until we we feel the clear cut guarantee. And once the bottom line is affected, Mahala deal, <laughs> it then shows you that shows you the flip side of making investments. Mm. That yes, you can have all the money in the world. But there has to be a level of returns, and when the returns are not coming, which in which is in tune in terms of uh, season tickets, you know, sale of merchandise and all that, the bottom line is affected, yeah. and then the investors will now have to start asking questions. But you see, for PSG, the issues are very clear. There's fan, there's apathy towards the coach. Mm. There's a bit of uh, uh, shenanigans going on with the players because. Um, the media has also played a, a bit of a role because, mm. yes, Messi joined the team. Messi only scored four league goals this season, but somehow the media somewhat kind of made this triumph about Messi. This is their title about Messi somewhat. As against... Negatively. And, no. 
Most from a positive perspective, oh, okay. like ascribing the success somewhat to him, whilst Kylian Mbappe is top scorer, top assist maker in the league, and he's not being celebrated the way he's celebrated so because we have to leave. Yeah, but by the same time, I would have felt that that would have been a really good way to try to woo him Mm. to stay. So, you already have that disconnect. They have disconnect with the coach, they have disconnect with the sporting director and the entire hierarchy. Now, of course, there are stories that some managers are already offering themselves to them on the platter of gold. gold. There are already stories that some players are probably going to move there on the free even though I don't mind him moving there on the free, he can go for all like good rangers to bad rangers. But from a business standpoint and to dilute the toxicity, the toxicity in the PSG ranks, it's important that Leonardo leaves. You can't have a problem with one manager. He's had problems with one too many managers mm. over the course of the last few years. Tuchel left. He's brought Pochettino. Pochettino is having issues again. Some, something has to give. It reminds us of uh, when Mourinho was at Real Madrid and had issues with Jorge Valdano. Hey, Mourinho had to leave eventually at some point. Jorge Valdano too had to go and they had to change the entire structure eventually. For PSG going forward, it's important that they change that structure. They have to have a structure that works with the sporting director and the coach working in unison. Mm. That's the only way that team can make that progress that they want. That they want. Oh, oh, okay, buddy. Um, from a player's perspective now, uh, if I was a player hoping to join or thinking of joining PSG and I saw those things, you know, wouldn't I think twice that, oh, these fans are... But you also feel that if you have... They definitely, there has to be changes. When at least the fans see that there's an attempt at changing things. That attempt is made. Maybe, like Yemi said, the sporting director leaves, the coach leaves, and they bring in new people. And all the, the fans would at least, hopefully, give them the benefits of the doubt and see that, well, we're trying to do things better. We're trying to do things right. And that might influence them to at least hold their fire, so to speak. One, one, one thing about players is that they always go where the money is. Okay. Who would have thought that new players would go to Manchester City mm. for those who don't know? Manchester City wasn't the juggernaut as it is now. Yeah. And yes, we thought players would not go to Manchester City. Just like, we have just like players are going to Newcastle now. Exactly. Now, we already see them line up to go to Newcastle. They go where the money is. Meanwhile, PSG I mean, I mean, despite their record failures, they are still a big club. At least you are guaranteed a trophy or two. And then you are also guaranteed a busload of money. So, players will always go where the money is and hope that things will change. And the fact that a lot of the bigger names might be leaving might also be an incentive because that means that, see, if you are big enough in post your rights, you might be one of the big boys there next season. So, yes, but I, I do feel that um, some will think first about it, but a lot, because there are players who will say, hey, you know what? I don't want to be a part of that. I like where I like it where I am. The devil knows better than the devil don't know. But there are some who will say, hey, it's, it's a lot of money for me. 
and a chance to start anew because there are some players who are at the crossroad now at the crossroad they are and they want a new beginning and then i feel that the PSG project as it is they are about to restart might just be the place the perfect place to start so hmm. some will go there the first two years cannot be what you're looking for because right now they think they're going they, they go to have to start all over again because as it is now it is not working mm. so they might take a couple of years and they, those first two years they might not get what they actually want but i think patience is key they go to be patient the fans are going to be, the fans are going to be patient the players coming more coming they go to be patient and they want to find a coach that knows his way around, I'm not saying Jose Mourinho, but he, he, he don't mind. They, have, they, 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 they need to find a coach that knows his way around and they go to back him. If they are not, if, if they are not sticking with Pochettino. And definitely a coach that inspires a bit of hope and confidence. We've, we've heard stories about Conte might be going there as well. Uh, but he just mentioned uh, Jose Mourinho and of course a number of players. But Yemi, my final question on this has to do with the elephant in the PSG room and that's Lionel Messi. Um, you know, funny thing that happens is if PSG had, well, they didn't win the Champions League, people trolled him. If they had not won this league title, people have trolled him. But when they win, people don't want to give him the credit, which I don't think, I've always felt that giving Messi or Ronaldo credit for a team win has always been something that needs it very well. Because football, no matter how much of a superstar you are, football is a team game and it's a team effort. And without the team, uh, you are not going to win anything. So having said that though, what do you think is going to be the situation with the Lionel Messi thing? And do you think it is fair that people like, well, people say you can't win <laughs> outside of Barcelona. He has won now, but people still don't want to grant him that credit. What do you make of all that? You know, the first thing is you probably have to just looking back and ask yourselves, did they really need to sign Messi? Mm. You know, he was available, so they jumped at it. Yeah, but if you're looking at it from a hindsight perspective, now ask yourself, do they really, did they really need to sign him to have the kind of season that they've had? If you look back, mm. no, they didn't need to. They didn't need to spend the amount of money they had to spend. To but get okay, him. is there an attraction f- for coaches and players that might try to bring in? If he's there, at least. Yeah, of course, he remains an attraction. Everybody wants to play with the best. Mm-hmm. Whether, whether his, his form has dwindled on the amount of matches he's played, I think he played 22 games this season, has dwindled or not, he's still Lionel Messi. Not, that doesn't change. And, um, so, the first question is, did they need to bring him in? Obviously, with the benefit of hindsight now, you say, no. They, they've achieved the basic. One, which is when the Ligon, when the Ligon gets to the knockout of the Champions League, got knocked out in Champions League. So really, what difference did his signing make? But then, uh, from a commercial standpoint, PSG would have obviously benefited somewhat from having a player of his status, you know, signed for them. Now, the bottom line has to be the future. What is the future of PSG with Messi? Yeah. Because if Mbappe goes, that means you, you're freeing up one slot. Neymar is also rumored to be unhappy and potentially wanting to lose. So that's two slots. Now, what is the situation for PSG for the future? Are they looking at bringing other high quality players? Or the following thing is only be, be, being um, linked with one and he's a midfielder. So, how much of an effect? And now, 
Messi's coming has also led to another Argentine not getting so much playing time. De Maria. He's also looking to be on his way. So, you look at it now, there's a, there's a bit of stability with him having joined uh, PSG. And in reference to the numbers he's put in, this is the lowest numbers he's had mm. since his debut season for Barcelona. Barcelona. So, you look at all this together, ask yourself, really? Did he have to go well, to PSG? I, I, I've, I've always felt that no matter who you are, if you join a new club, especially in a new country, um, at least you need season. at least half a season to one season to settle in. And who knows? I, I, I'm just, a, I just feel that I don't think Lionel Messi will have this kind of low, quote unquote, season back to back. Who knows what's going to happen next season? All right. Um, all kinds of troubles in Paris. Paris is the venue of one of the big Grand Slams in tennis, which is coming up shortly. And um, the Grand Slam coming after that uh, at SW19 in London, Wimbledon, in the news for controversial reasons a couple of uh, last week because the organizers, you know, we've talked about the uh, politics of sports on this uh, podcast a few weeks ago after the Russian invasion of Ukraine and all the sanctions being meted out to Russia. Authorized Russian sports uh, franchises by uh, governing bodies across the world. A new dimension. You know, those ones dealt mostly with Russian teams. National teams, club size, although there was a Formula 1 one with Mazepin um, ha- having this contract revoked. Now, Wimbledon comes out and says because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, Russian tennis players, Belarus, Russian tennis players, Belarus supported the invasion, are banned from Wimbledon. There's a lot of you and cry about that decision. Nogova Jovic criticized it. Martina Naratilova criticized it. Um, ATP and WTA have criticized it. Those are the governing bodies for both men and women's tennis. And um, I think they have, the SW19 organizers have said they will take a look at it again. But, but they, just like we asked the other time, isn't this sport overreaching? Is it fair? If I'm a national of Russia, I probably don't even live in Russia. Should I lose my livelihood because my country <laughs> has decided to invade another country? I don't know whether I'm making sense to you. Are the authorities overreacting? Are they overreaching? Um, because it's one thing to ban a country and a national team, but individuals in various sports uh, that's a different level entirely. It is, Gigi. And I like the fact that um, uh, uh, that women are saying that that they are, they are going to take, a, take an, an, another look at it. Um, because, like you like said, when it's a team, you know that the country is involved. Mm. The funding, the logistics will come from that country. So you can rightly say, you know what? They show up. Because when you show up, you might, introduce, you might introduce some other elements mm. into into your team that might come over here and do or some harm. But when it's an individual, like you said, a lot of a lot of this uh, uh, this uh, this Russian athletes don't even live in Russia. Yeah, that's they live in California. Exactly. They, they, they live mm. in Paris. That's that's where they are based. A lot of them are disconnected from what is happening back home because of the president. A lot of them are used against the president, but they will see it because their families back home. So yeah. they just do their jobs and keep short because of 
because of the uh, like repercussions in the speakers. And to now punish these athletes, it's like punishing them twice. Mm. They are suffering because of what's going on back home. They are now saying they can't, they can't, and they can't. It's I feel that it has got to stop somewhere. And I like that a lot of people are speaking out against it because it is wrong. You may say whatever you can about Russia and their policies, and you'll be correct. Unless an athlete openly speaks sporting yeah. the government and their actions, yeah. I do not think it's right to ban them. Um, yeah, I mean, we, 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 at times we wonder, why did Wimbledon feel they needed to take this decision? Because for me, I don't think anybody had an issue with Russian, uh, since then, Russian tennis players have been playing. Belarusian players have been playing. Why did, because that, that was the first question that came to my mind. And, and even the, 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 the immediate tension of the war has quietened down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's going on for like a couple of months now. Why did Wimbledon feel this is a decision they needed to take? Because that is what I don't understand. Very responsible. Very responsible. And uh, this is a pivot towards sensationalism for Wimbledon. Because as a body, generally, and I'm talking as the sports body as a whole, have somewhat constrained the nations of Belarus and Russia. Mm from taking part in so sports. Many, so many events. So many sports. Which has an effect on the people of Russia or in, on the industry of sports in Russia. Now, you don't... I, I think this is, this is a competition that is... They are reaching. Reaching on the borders of controversy. You know. Because I, I don't understand why a Daniel Medvedev who has worked hard to get to, to get to the pinnacle of the sport, will now lose the opportunity of winning his first, you know, winning a Wimbledon title, or at least competing for a Wimbledon title. Why? Because it's Russia. I think it's a, it's a height of discrimination mm. on the part of Wimbledon. And these are the same people who speak about, you know, eliminating discrimination, you know, promoting uh, equity, uh, it's, it's it's just unfounded on so many levels because yes, it's important to put pressure on the nation Russia, but then should the ordinary folk because like you know, these guys are also ordinary yeah. folk yeah. should they now suffer at the, because of the decision of one person? They don't like what they said. They don't even most of them don't even live in Russia, mm. but yes, they are identified as Russians. Or should, that, should we not take that source of livelihood away from them because of what the nation that they are from? I think it's a bit irresponsible on the, fact of Wimbledon, on, the, on the side of Wimbledon. And I think it's important that they look at it again. Maybe they didn't think it's deep and hard, you know, when taking that decision. It's good that they're taking another look at it. Okay, everybody. Um, like we said during the previous podcast when we were talking about politics of sport, there's something going on around the world now and it's political correctness. 
You know, everybody wants to be seen as doing the thing right. that is politically correct. And I think, you know, especially, it looks like the UK, they are overreacting to these things. We talked about the Chelsea situation <laughs> and how I think they went overboard trying to do so many things that even affecting regular British citizens who work for Chelsea. You know, so, in a way, should governments, when governments take action, is it advisable that sports associations or sports fans should just stay away from it? Maybe do a few protests like some, like the Premier League does, like some other leagues are doing and all that. There could have been a way for Wimbledon to um, protest about it or maybe put banners up to say, stop the war and all of that without going to the point where, because I honestly feel that if some of these um, decisions are challenged at the Court of Arbitration for Sport, uh, probably the Russian individual athletes will win. Well, you, you saw the case of, um, of uh, was it the Olympics where a team went, a team of Russian athletes went and they, they called themselves, uh, by, by, they identified themselves by another name in time. I, I, I think every case should be judged on its own merit because I mean, if, if, if we sit there and say that hey, sports, sports associations will start a police and all that, a time, at, a time, a, a time may come or might come when we also will say, you know what, sports associations to, to start to, to, to stand up Take and say something. Yeah. It's just that in this case, I do not think that Jubilee has a right. But there are cases where you can't separate life from sports. Yeah. And feel, hey, look, sports is important, but life is more important. And so, what takes the, the life takes precedence of other sports? I think every case will deserve, will, 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 will deserve to be judged by so many. But in this in this particular instance, I think we would not make a mistake. Okay, yeah, I mean, what do you think would happen now? Because I mean, good thing that they even said that they are taking a second look at it. <laughs> Maybe it's a stylish way of saying egg on our face, yeah. let's try and retrace our steps. And um, do you see other sporting bodies, I doubt it, but do you see other sporting bodies towing this line? Is what has happened with the hear and cry. Um, what do you think they would do now? That's talking about the organizers of this event. Yeah, I think they're going to take a step back and um, welcome these guys to open hands eventually because really... Because what made the point? Except an athlete has openly endorsed Does the action of and his they country. And as they far as I know, they have And even if you now say they've not gone against, they have families back in Russia. They can't openly go against their government. Oh, yes. Am I saying that what they are my government because they have to protect their families as well? It's, it's that simple. I cannot recollect any Russian or Belarusian athlete or tennis player since we're now in tennis, you know, come out with any statement or protest or whatever in support of mm. the war. Mm. And I think that that alone should be taken into consideration to show that, look, these guys have remained as neutral as possible. And like I said, this borders on discrimination. Mm. Discrimination based on their nationality. And if we are serious about equity, about eliminating all forms of discrimination, this shouldn't be encouraged. This is something that mm. I do hope that women will learn their lessons and then, you know, um, mm. 
call back that that uh, pronouncement and how those rush out because I can't imagine this one like I go back to Daniel <laughs> the young man I'm so when the guy had the announcement he would have like, what do I have to do now, he's going on here go past Rafa uh, Roger Quickly, yeah, but let, let, let's round this up. Thank you. Yeah. Let, let's round this up. Uh, politics and sports, since Colin Kaepernick took the knee, have become uh, roommates. <laughs> Siamese twins. But going forward, what can sports do to help um, heal the rifts that are going on around the world? Because some have criticized all these bands and bands and say, Sports should be the factor that unifies, that corrects. What can sports do in this instance to lead to more unity rather than more division? Quickly. Sports has also missing. Sports has also missing. Look, you mentioned Kaepernick, you mentioned Rubio. These are two extreme cases. Yeah. Kaepernick had a point. Sports turned a blind ear. Mm. Now, Wimbledon are facing what they should, what, what they should not be facing. So, we are seeing two reactions that are in the opposite direction. Yeah. So, sports has got to listen to the pulse of the fans and flow with the tide. It's as simple as that. All right. And on that note, we bring to an end Sports 360 podcast for the week. Once again, you can send your questions, check our social media handles for the questions. We have seen some very, very interesting questions. A couple of weeks' time, we will answer those questions. Yeah, means in trouble. <laughs> Our body has one or two tough questions as well. I uh, will let you know about that. So once again, we'd like to thank you for joining us on Sports 360 Podcast for the week. It drops your way 12 noon every Thursday, Nigerian time. Uh, Yemi Adesan is here with me. Body is going to be joining us via Skype. Thank you. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Yeah, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. That's the message. Thank you. And if you have any, if you have any questions, one more week. For you to drop those questions. Thank you so much for joining us. Signing out. Bye-bye.